Psalm 108, verse 1 through 6, these are God's words. A song, a psalm of David. O God, my heart is steadfast. I will sing and give praise, even with my glory. Awake, lute and harp. I will awaken the dawn. I will praise you, O Lord, among the peoples. And I will sing praises to you among the nations. For your mercy is great above the heavens, and your truth reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens and your glory above all the earth, that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand, and hear me. Amen. Thus ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. One of the things that the Spirit teaches us to do for ourselves, or to ourselves, uh, when we are cast down and discouraged in Psalm 42 and 43, is to dress our own soul. Why, O my soul, are you cast down? Why are you so discouraged? Hope now in God, for I will yet praise him. And here the psalmist is actually quite discouraged, although we won't find that out till next week because uh, we're taking this psalm in two parts. But at the end, he says, Is it not you, O God, who has cast us off? You, O God, who did not go out with our armies. Give us help from trouble, for the help of man is useless. And so he is actually, at the beginning of the psalm, uh, giving us an example of applying the same principle as in Psalm 42 and 43, that in circumstances that are difficult, even if we are remembering, especially if we are remembering, that God sovereignly superintends the difficulty, so that the hardship in our life actually comes from his hand in our relationship with him. Now it comes from his good hand, according to his good content, good intentions. But that as we relate to him, we must remember then his character, his work, and the end to which all of creation is going. That he is the God who is glorious above the heavens and above the earth and simple. That all of his attributes are always fully expressed in full agreement with one another. His love never takes a back seat. His justice never takes uh, a back seat or one diminishing in order to express the other. No. Uh, his uh, chesed and emet, uh, verse 4, your mercy uh, is chesed there, great above the heavens. Your emet, truth or faithfulness there, reaches uh, to the clouds. They are uh, a merism, uh, a summation of the fullness of all of the character of God. Uh, just as he describes himself using those two words, meaning not just those two attributes, but all of his attributes, uh, when he declares his own name to Moses, just as he describes that Jesus is the living God in the flesh, uh, when he uh, when he quotes that, uh, when the word became flesh, we beheld his glory as full of grace and truth, and quoting the phrase, in the, from the Greek translation of the Old Testament, of God declaring his own name to Moses. And so when we are in hardship, we must come back to the character of God himself and the fact that his character is actually displayed in his works, which encourages us to cry out to him, and that when all is said and done, we are going to be in a holy assembly with holy angels and even more glorious than the holy angels, uh, on that day, all of the holy ones whom he has redeemed in Christ, and we will worship him in the assembly 
of the redeemed under the great high priesthood of Christ, uh, enjoying our privilege according to the priesthood of all believers. Uh, and so we have all of that taken together here now in verses 1 through 6, uh, with verses 1 through 3 especially taking our place in congregation and creation. And then in verse 4, worshiping God's divine glory and simplicity in his character. And then in verses 5 and 6, worshiping God's divine glory and simplicity in his work, especially, of course, his redeeming work. So first, taking our place in congregation and creation. All that the Lord has uh, has given to David, all that um, he has done in and for David, David now turns and he offers it all to glory. I will sing and give praise even with my glory. He understands that everything God does for him and everything God gives to him is for the honor and praise and glory of God, which we should also do. This enables us uh, to receive that to which God has elevated us, however high or however low that might be. For David, it was pretty high. He had been made the king of the nation, and yet he counted his own glory as nothing to himself, but rather something to be offered unto God in song and in praise. And that, that second part of verse 1, is uh, is actually behind the first part when he says, Oh God, my heart is steadfast. Now, that wasn't necessarily true with relation to his flesh, was it? Uh, his his flesh uh, would waver and doubt and be anxious, but praise God, he's being carried along by the Holy Spirit now as he writes this psalm and this prayer under divine inspiration. And he says, my heart is steadfast, my heart is resolved. My glory is for your praise, and then also, therefore, that which I suffer is for your praise, that which I'm going through, the difficulty about which he will sing in the back half of the psalm, is for God's praise. And so we learn that we are to take not just everything that God has given us, whatever level that is, and uh, if we are in lowly condition and uh, lowly status, uh, then that too we offer to God for his praise because he has mercy upon the lowly. And if he elevates us, we offer that up to his praise uh, because he is not exalting us for our own pride or for our own, um, for our own service, our own pleasure, but that we might praise him and serve him and take delight in him. Let the rich exult in his humiliation we just had last week in James chapter one. And let us learn then also to have hearts that are steadfast, determined to praise God in whatever condition we find ourselves. And so he's taking his place, not just as an individual. Uh, we can take man's chief end or the chief ends of all things, uh, and we can hyper-individualize it. We can take to... Uh, we can consider it as if we are the only creature, and we mustn't. Uh, and so he goes from the individual in verse 1 to the corporate in verse 2. How do we know that it's corporate? He's calling upon instruments, instruments that are being designated at this time. Remember that David didn't just function as a, a, as a king and a prophet, but he also made all these contributions uh, to the service of the temple with the priestly choirs and the priestly musicians. And so lute and harp here are 
uh, are part of this man's focus, this saint's focus on corporate worship, the holy assembly, that we don't just want to praise the Lord ourselves individually, but we want to praise the Lord corporately. And so he says, awaken lute and harp, but he recognizes not only is the entire congregation being redeemed for the worship of God and the praise of God, but even the whole creation is unto the praise and to the glory of God exists for him. So not just awake lute and harp now, verse 2, but I will awaken the dawn, verse 2, that we know the reason for the sun and we know the reason for the sunrise. The heavens declare the glory of God. The sun itself has been created by God to shine brightly and run consistently across the sky and bring God glory. Uh, and so uh, so he is remembering his own purpose. He is remembering the purpose of redemption and the gathering of, of people by God's salvation. He's remembering the purpose of creation. And now he looks forward to when God has gathered, not just from among Israel, but from among the nations. Verse 3, I will praise you, O Yahweh, among the peoples. I will sing praise to you among the nations. Uh, And he looks forward to that worship uh, that we see already, don't we, in Revelation 4 and Revelation 5. And one day, you and I, we who are around this table, will be in an innumerable multitude of those who have been redeemed by Christ and brought to him. And we will participate all at once in one another's hearing, in his physical and visible presence, that which we perceive a little bit by faith in the assembly on the Lord's Day morning as uh, and the Lord's Day evening uh, as God God collects us with a congregation of his people and in hearing of one another and in sight of one another. But one day it'll be all of his people from all of the nations that we can see and that we can hear. But more than that, even it'll be him himself, the Lord Jesus. I will praise you, O Yahweh, among the peoples. And I will sing praises to you among the nations. You see how... Great is the difference in focus. David on earth is in the circumstance in verses 11 and 12. But as he employs the spirit-taught method in Psalm 42 and Psalm 43, he says, I will yet praise him. And so what does he start remembering? He remembers God's purpose for him, that he will praise him. He remembers God's purpose for the congregation. I will praise him with the congregation and not just the congregation of uh, of Israel but the assembly of the peoples will praise him with all of a new creation so first taking our place in congregation and creation verses 1 through 3 worshiping then his god's divine glory and simplicity in his character in verse 4 for your mercy your steadfast love your covenant love your chesed is great above the heavens And your truth, your faithfulness, your covenant faithfulness, your emmet, reaches to the clouds. And so we can be focused on our particular situation uh, under uh, under heaven, but we need to zoom out and broaden our perspective that we would see the greatness of the steadfast love of God that is never negated 
There's never a doubt of it because of something that happens in a section of his earth for uh, a sliver of time. No, God in himself is full of steadfast love, covenant love, and faithfulness, and all of his attributes. God himself is the great reality. And so we worship that divine glory of his, and that simplicity, the holding together of all of his attributes, his steadfast love, his faithfulness. You can use your catechism. Being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, truth, all of those things together. And you see how the reality of God himself dwarfs what happens in time, what happens in history, what happens in our day and the circumstances of our life. But then he's not just separate from us because he moves from worshiping God's divine glory and simplicity in his character in verse 4 to worshiping God's divine glory, glory and simplicity in his work, his redeeming work especially in verses 5 and 6. Notice how he he takes that which is true of God in God himself in verse 4, and then he applies it to his cry to God in verses 5 and 6. Very similar language, verse 5. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens, and your glory above the earth. Now he introduces, doesn't he, the earth? Well, the heavens are above the earth. But he's he is remembering, as it were now, the the character of God and bringing the truth, the reality of the character of God, as it were, down into his situation. Not that God was ever apart from his situation, but that we're forgetful of the fact that the living God is operating in our life and the living God is operating in our circumstances. And then look at how he ties two of God's glorious attributes in uh, the way he prays in verse 6 that your beloved may be delivered. Save with your right hand and hear me or answer me. <clears throat> and there's actually probably four of his attributes, not just two here. First, that your beloved. He remembers the steadfast love of God. He does not look at the current experiences and say, uh, and allow doubt about the love of God to creep in. How wonderful for us to be able to take the theology of, Bi- of the Bible and refer to ourselves in the third person and say, O Lord, help your beloved, that the Holy Spirit would take that which our hearts are tempted to doubt and even do sometimes, God, forgive us doubt, and he would would take it and put it on our lips so that even by praying according to the Bible and singing according to the Bible, we refer to ourselves in our prayers to God as your beloved. O Lord, help me, your beloved is in a difficult situation today. And we remember that our being beloved is not because of who we are. It's because of who God is and what God is like. So you have the love of God, that your beloved may be delivered, saved, which is associated in Scripture especially with the justice of God, that those whom he has justified in himself, he will deliver. He will give them justice from that which has been done against them. So you have the love of God and the justice of God, and then you have the power of God associated in Scripture with his right hand, the right hand of his power, that your beloved may be delivered, save with your right hand. And then you have the faithfulness of God, that he listens to his people and he hears their cry and he persists with them. He does not leave them alone. And so he says, save with your right hand and answer me, hear me. He's not here being demanding any more than he is 
praying to God according to God's character and according to God's promises that what God is like and what God has said God would bring to pass. And so there is demanding here, but it's a submissive demanding. It's a holy crying out according to the word of God, so that it is the character of our God himself and the end of all creatures and ourselves as a creature that he brings to bear here as he cries out in the midst of trouble. If we didn't know that you had the trouble, verses 11 through 12, you would think, wow, what a glorious, amazing, high passage of praise to God. And indeed it is, because that is the Holy Spirit's prescription for us in our trouble, to turn our attention to God and praise him for who he is in himself, and therefore for whom he shows himself to be in all of his actions, as he is bringing all creation to praise him, and as he is bringing a congregation of the redeemed in holy assembly to praise him, as we will do one day perfectly, and yet we get already in Christ by the Spirit to enjoy doing sincerely and genuinely though not perfect already. Amen. Let's pray. Oh Lord, please help me and please help my family to see the way that your Spirit trains us to respond to our troubles. Thank you for giving this to David. Thank you for preparing it even for our Lord Jesus in his humanity as he grew in wisdom and in favor with you. Thank you for preparing it for us. Help us, Lord, to Uh, Take this into our actual difficulties in life, that the realization of who you are and that you are being yourself in our lives and in our circumstances would carry us through and sanctify us in the midst of our troubles. We thank you especially that we may call ourselves your beloved and know from the Bible, know from your word, from your lips, what (coughs) our hearts often doubt. And so we pray, O God, your beloved has difficulty in the midst of our hardships, remembering you and aiming to glorify and enjoy you. And so come by your spirit and help your beloved now, we ask, by the power of your right hand. For we ask it in the name of the Son of your right hand, even our Lord Jesus. Amen.